Mitts and the Sci Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. Dr. Mitch Glazer joins us. He's the president of Chosen People Ministries in New York. He has a book called Messiah in the Passover, along with Dr. Daryl Bach. And uh, he joins us. Welcome. Well, it's great to be here, Michael. God bless you and shalom. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. Shalom to you. You've been extensively involved in Jewish evangelism, several countries, uh, instrumental in helping to establish a congregation among Russian Jewish immigrants in New York. And uh, you're also a, a co-recipient of Christianity Today's Award of Merit in the uh, Apologetics Evangelism category in 2009 for the book To the Jew First, The Case for Jewish Evangelism in Scripture and uh, History. I won't read your whole life story, but people are going to find a whole lot about you. You're, you're, by God's grace, you're an important man in, in the body of Christ. Well, um, I, I, I guess that's true, but you, if you asked... Uh, some of my relatives, how I fe they feel about my importance, they would give you another story, you know. <laughs> but but uh, we're all we're all important to the Lord. That's and, true. Uh, but I have been kicking around the field of Jewish evangelism for a long time. How important is that? I mean, there's so many Jewish people out there, and that are listening, and that uh, you know, this Messiah, uh, they should have a T-shirt that keeps saying the Messiah hasn't come. That's, that's the answer that you get, you know, when you talk to most Jewish people, the Messiah hasn't come. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Your book, though, Messiah in the Passover, big question. So why is this interview unlike all other interviews? <laughs> <laughs> very cute. Uh, it's, it is a very important interview because as we approach uh, this season of the year, um, it's, it's one of the times where, as a Jewish believer, I feel so whole and complete, you know. Uh, throughout the rest of the year, and I live in the Holy Land, you know, Brooklyn, New York, mm -hmm. and and be, and so there's a there's a lot of misunderstanding, 
sometimes antagonism, uh, some really hopeful signs also. I mean, there, there are Jewish people open to the Lord like, like us, but the, in general, the Jewish community is pretty closed. And, and so there's always this underlying uh, uh, understanding that uh, I've walked away, that, you know, you can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus. It's like eating a ham and cheese sandwich at a bar mitzvah. You know, there's <laughs> so many other, so many ways to say it. And, right. and yet, when it comes to uh, Passover and the fact that our beloved Messiah, Yeshua, in Luke chapter 22, decided to initiate and institute the Lord, you know, the new covenant promised in Jeremiah 31 uh, at a Passover Seder, there's nothing like Passover for a Jewish believer to just understand that the whole thing comes together and that what we believe is not foreign to our heritage and, our, and the faith of our forefathers, but actually it's the completion, it's the fullness. And, uh, and I just am so desperate for my own people, my own family to understand this. Oh, I am too. I, I love that choice of words because, um, you know, I went from a fanatic or a nut job uh, believing in Jesus. This is what they think to, you know, going to seminary and then, a, a, you know, an intelligent nut job. And, uh, and, you know, I wish they would think of me something other than that because uh, I, I, you know, the Lord gives you the words to speak and, uh, and you're reading the Hebrew scriptures, you know, the Old Testament to them. And, and uh, they're thinking they know that they should be reading it, but they're not. And they're not taking an interest in the Messiah. How come I am? And it can't all be like, you know, he hasn't come yet. It's like like late for a dinner reservation. Well, well I mean, it's one nut job to another, you know. And <laughs> we, we understand each other because when God opens your eyes as a Jewish person, particularly someone like me who was raised in a more ob- sort of observant atmosphere, a more traditional Jewish home, I actually uh, was had my bar mitzvah when I was 13 at the Young Israel of Kew Garden Hills in Queens, New York. And so that was modern Orthodox. And so I went to Hebrew school four days a week between ages uh, eight and 13 and, and had to go to Friday night and Saturday morning. I mean, it was a very in, important part of my life. But honestly, as much as I love my heritage and I, I, I love the Bible, I mean, and uh, I was not raised reform or conservative. So I was not raised to think that the Bible was a collection of good ethics or, or stories that maybe or maybe not were true. I was raised in a more orthodox atmosphere. I believed that they were God's word, that it was God's word. I believed that they were true and then rejected it. So at least I knew what I was rejecting. <laughs> uh, but but I, I didn't reject it because I was upset. I just rejected it because it wasn't relevant to my life. And uh, and so I became uh, all sorts of things when I was in my late teenage years. And then when I was 19 years old, two of my best Jewish friends came to know Jesus as their Messiah, sort of in the Jesus movement. I was in San Francisco, no flowers in my hair or anything like that. But, but I was an active drug user and drug dealer. And really? so were my friends. Oh, yeah. So were my friends. And then uh, from one day to the next, their lives were so radically transformed. And when they told me it was Jesus, I tried to talk them out of it because I felt that they were disloyal and they were traitors. And, um, but they just encouraged me. And I met some of their Gentile Christian friends. And in Romans 11, 11, Paul writes, uh, talks about the, the jealousy that can be stirred in the heart of a Jewish person by a Gentile Christian. And so I was just jealous of what they had because they believed 
in my Bible, the first half more than I believed in my own Bible. Right. And, mm -hmm. and they knew it pretty well. And so I began really uh, seeking God and, uh, and prayed that he would show me the truth. And then one night found the New Testament in a phone booth in the middle of the Redwood Forest. Really? Anyway, wow. How is that? <laughs> well, I was working down there. Uh, for the Marin County Board of Education, teaching outdoor education. I got to Jewish camps my whole life. So at 19 years old, besides selling drugs, I was an experienced uh, a camp, camp counselor. It was the only honest job I could get. And, and, and that night, I found a New Testament in a phone booth in this campground, and I just kind of stole it because I figured I'd ask God repeatedly to show me how to get to him, to show me the truth, hoping that it wasn't Jesus, and there was a New Testament, a modern English version of the New Testament, which was good for me because I, my brain was a little uh, messed up. And, and so I began, I began reading this and was just thunderstruck uh, by Jesus. What a sense of humor, too. I mean, you know, you're trying to get a connection with, uh, with God here, with uh, the Messiah, Messiah Jesus, and there's a telephone booth. Yes, and uh, it was well, to be honest with you, Michael, it was kind of glowing in the moonlight. A lot of things were glowing for me back then. But this one was through the redwood trees, was really glowing. And, hmm. I, you know, I had asked God even that day, again, show me the truth. Show me how I'm supposed to get to you. And there was this New Testament, which I would never dare read. I was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home. And even though I didn't believe it, I wasn't active, all the prejudices and the feelings of guilt and even considering Jesus, were just heaped on my soul. And I, I couldn't get beyond it. I thought my mother was looking over my shoulder. My palms were sweating when I was trying to read the New Testament. And uh, my grandparents had escaped Russia because of the pogroms, which every Jew knows was initiated by quote-unquote Christians. Of course, we thought they were real Christians. Now that we know the truth about Jesus and about Christians, we know they couldn't possibly have been real Christians. Real Christians could not possibly hate uh, the kinsman according to the flesh of, of, yes. of Messiah. And so I had a long way to go, Michael, just like you, in really trying to figure all of this out. And uh, my brain didn't really catch up with my heart for a number of years. And, and that's okay. I don't make any, I'm not ap uh, apologizing for that. You know, if people say, you know, you're a nice Jewish boy, where would you have been without Jesus, a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant? You know, I would have been a dead drug dealer. You know, and so I, I, I'm not making any bones about it. Uh, did I know enough to make a, a life-changing life, -changing life uh, decision uh, that would uh, endure for years? Would, would, would I have made that decision? It's endured for almost 50 years now. And so would I have made that decision if I knew more? How do I know? I don't know. All I know is what I knew at the time. And when I read the Bible, I came to believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah. He was the fulfillment of prophecy. He was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And after I embraced him by faith as my Savior, I had peace. My life began to change. No yeah. more drugs, no more, no more of anything uh, that would uh, take me away from, uh, from the Lord. Now, of course, uh, we've been, the Lord and I have been working on my holiness for a long time. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's not that you ever achieve it. But, but the, those major things that sort of were idolatrous to me and replaced God in my life, you know, just, they just fled uh, uh, right after I was saved. And uh, which is good because, you know, when you have all these other issues, they cloud the real issues, which is becoming more like Jesus. And that's been 
my heart, my my goal ever since I got saved. That's amazing. The testimony of a believer. And there's so many, I mean, from the Redwood Forest and the telephone booth, only God can orchestrate these things. And when people hear it, they know this is not made up. And, uh, you know, Jewish people, you know, I believe they really want to know God. They want to know this Messiah. I, I believe that. But uh, it just seems like I don't know why, once getting back to that, uh, you know, the saying he hasn't come yet to them, um, I don't know why they rest on just that. I wish they would give me at least one or two uh, theological principles or, or from Scripture, but I, I always hear that, and it could be the most well, that, intelligent well, person that you've ever well, met, and all they say is he hasn't come. Well, Michael, that's because most Jewish people only have half the story. I mean, you have to be sympathetic to our own people in that. You know, it's, it's only when God opens your eyes and you believe the New Testament that the Old Testament, the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures come into perspective. And so uh, I, I, I didn't know. And, uh, but I think that's one of the reasons we're having a big campaign in New York this summer. We hope to have 250 people on the streets over a two-week period and uh, reaching Jewish people in, among the two-plus million Jewish people in the five boroughs of New York City. Really, wow. Any of your listeners would like to come, they can go to the Chosen People website and look for Shalom New York City, and uh, we we still have room. We have about 60, 70 people signed up, and so there's still opportunity. But uh, we're going to be reaching Jewish people with the good news, and one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to hand out New Testaments in English, in Hebrew, and in Yiddish, because we have a huge Hasidic and ultra-Orthodox population in the great New York area. And, and we believe there's power in God's Word. And, you know, one of the things that absolutely struck me when I was reading the New Testament for the first time. I'd never even held the New Testament until I found this one in, in the phone book. But I was convinced Jesus was a Gentile, and I was convinced that Jew- Christians hated Jews. And I began reading, and then w- from one moment to the, to the next, my life changed because I recognized that Jesus was Jewish. And one of the reasons it, it really hit me was, I mean, and this is going to sound so funny, and it sounds so odd at this time in my life, but I really thought Jesus, don't ask me how, but I really thought he celebrated Christmas. I thought he celebrated Easter. <laughs> I mean, you know, how in the world was I supposed to know? And, and so as I was reading through, he celebrated Sukkot, Tabernacles. He celebrated Pesach, Passover. And uh, he celebrated Hanukkah, John chapter 10, the Feast of Dedication. It, it, was, it was then that I really... Re- sort of came to understand what I would later on read in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 10, verse 1, where Paul says they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Actually, that's verse 3 or 4. And, uh, and so I, I, I just understood that even though Jewish people historically have had a zeal for God. Many Jewish people, my grandparents, had a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge, which is a compound Greek term, epinosis, which means full or complete knowledge. So there was some knowledge. And if you travel my neighborhood in Brooklyn, I mean, you'd see, on a Saturday morning, you should only see that many Christians going to church in Brooklyn on a Sunday. On a Sunday. I mean, so obviously something's going on but it's a zeal for God with what they know, but it's not in accordance with full knowledge because full knowledge only comes when you know that Jesus is the Messiah and embrace the the new covenant, the new Testament. I I agree with that, of course. And, uh, you know, but the thing about it, uh, it seems 
uh, getting back to Brooklyn or, or maybe even like the, when the trains come in, you know, people have an idea what the, what the schedule's like, you know. And so it, the interest of, of wanting to know when is the Messiah coming or at least the kind of, so they don't miss it, you know, they don't miss the train. It, that's the thing that uh, concerns me or, you know, I have that kind of question mark. Why aren't, uh, you know, more Jewish people concerned? Because the, the whole scripture, all the scriptures uh, is about uh, the Messiah. And well, they, the, they know that. The, the train schedule is in Daniel chapter 9, Michael. And, uh, you know, the Jewish people, you're not even supposed to read that till you're over 30. And, uh, and, and parts Why is of that? The, Why is that? It's a mystical book, and you need to have more maturity and responsibility, according to the Jewish community. It's a, because, the, you know, some of those prophecies in Daniel and Ezekiel are sort of very difficult to understand. And so, uh, actually, traditional Judaism, uh, religious Judaism, doesn't teach a whole lot on the prophets. You read through it in the synagogue during the 52 uh, cycle of readings that include both the Torah and what we call the Haftorah or the prophets and the writings. Uh, but you never read all of the prophets and the writings. You can read the entirety of the five books, but not all the rest of it. it's too long. You'll be in synagogue five hours a day instead of two or three. And, uh, and so the Jewish people are not that familiar. I've had uh, Lubavitch Hasidim, you know, uh, Chabad, the very mm-hmm. uh, aggressive evangelistic version of, uh, of, of religious Jewish people. And I've had some of them thank me because they said, you know, if it wasn't for you, I'd never really study the prophets. And so I wrote a little book, which I, I'd give free to any reader if they want it. They can go to the Chosen People website and uh, ask for Isaiah 53 Explained. It's a 200-page book that talks about why Isaiah 53 points to the Messiah. I'd be happy to give it to anybody as long as they promise to read it and then give it away to a Jewish person. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, that way I get my money's worth, you know. And, and, and so there's just, there's just a, a, a lot said describing the Messiah and what the Messiah would do. But Daniel 9 is really one of the only chapters, and it's very difficult to understand the 70 weeks of Daniel and so on. But, but that's one of the only chapters which gives the timetable. And, uh, but, you know, we're finding uh, Jewish people, both religious and secular, to be somewhat open. And, but we have to remember Romans 11.11, I think, is really critical. Uh, and I think for your listeners, it's important. They didn't stumble so as to fall, did they never be? But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Then the Apostle Paul, Rabbi Saul, concludes with a purpose clause, and he says, to make them jealous. So the gospel has come to Gentile Christians, to Gentiles, so that they can make Jewish people jealous. That's sort of a, a messianic mandate for Gentiles, you know? Yeah, and- and- it's good that instead of like extinct for the church, sometimes you go to the, you go to a new Testament church, if you will. And, and sometimes you forget they, that God has a plan and purpose for the Jew. And, uh, and I kind of segue and getting back to your book, Messiah in the Passover, because is that a tough sell that, uh, you know, getting uh, Gentiles, getting Christians to, to celebrate Passover? Well, actually not really. Uh, and the reason is because a lot of Gentile Christians understand that they do have spiritual Jewish roots uh, in the Old Testament, and, with, and uh, there is a connection. Uh, we did a massive survey of evangelicals last year with Lifeway Research, which is a Southern Baptist research arm. Mm-hmm. And of the 2002 random uh, people surveyed, 
and you had to answer four questions about being an evangelical Christian, you couldn't get away with being wishy-washy. And so over 2,000 uh, surveys, and of that amount, uh, 82% believe that uh, God's going to be faithful to his promise to Abraham, which involved the maintaining of a people and the giving of a land. And, um, and so I think that there's a real interest among Gentile Christians. And uh, we've produced a number of books, and we'll be in a thousand churches this Passover, talking about Messiah and the Passover. And Christians, Gentile Christians understand that the communion uh, grows out of a Passover. They just don't know the details. And boy, you know, I'll speak in a lot of churches, and of course, people will read the book that we wrote on Messiah and the Passover. When Christians begin to understand that the third cup was the cup of redemption that reminded us of the shed blood of the lamb that was smeared on the doorposts to save the young Jewish children, males from certain death. And, you know, why did Jesus pick that cup, the cup after the meal, according to Luke 22? It's because it would have the uh, significance. It would, it, it's, it's, it's the lamb. It's the shed blood of the lamb That's that right. saved the Jewish children. And it's the shed blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus the Messiah, as so well articulated 700 years before his birth in Isaiah 53. It's that shed blood that saves us, that atones for our sin, and God passes over us. Then, of course, you have the shank bone of the Lamb, again, right in the middle of the service. And you you go back to Exodus 12 and show how that is a type or, or a prophecy and symbol of the atoning death of the Messiah. And, and of course, you have matzah. And you have uh, the matzotash with three sections. The middle section is taken out, broken, wrapped in a napkin, hid, brought back at the end of the meal. That's the afikomen, a Greek word, believe it or not. That means that which comes later. And of course, that was the bread. It wasn't fluffy white bread. It was matzah because it broke. I mean, just think about that. And so Jesus broke that matzah and said, "This this this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the cup reminds us of the blood. The body reminds us, uh, the, uh, the bread, the matzo reminds us of, of the uh, bread of life, the body of Jesus and Messiah broken uh, for us, for our sins. And so it's just uh, when you start realizing things like that, I mean, for a Jewish person like me, I grew up with that to then see how it pointed to Jesus was eye-opening. Yes. And then, of course, for a Gentile Christian to understand that it so enriches uh, the beauty of communion. Yeah, I mean, I think when when all Jewish people get together for the Messiah, for the Messiah, for the Passover, it seems like that's the picture book story where kind of like when you learn a Goldilocks and the Three Bears and things like that. Well, all of a sudden, in this important story of the Passover, it, I think it makes Jewish people proud to be Jewish and and proud to to be God's chosen and and. You know, it's in to be honest with you, because it's it's kind of like a picture puzzle, you know, a picture book and and wondering how you know, some sometimes it requires further examination. So, you know, sometimes I wonder if there's a little guilt where people have this great meal. They eat together with friends and relatives and maybe deep down they're wondering, how come I'm not taking as much of an interest in what all this is about? You know, what, what I'm eating, what I'm doing. Uh, your book certainly demonstrates that. Well, you know, if you think about it this way, I love the coloring book illustration, because in the coloring book, when you buy a coloring book, all you have are the lines, but then you have to do the coloring. And so, you know, we have the lines in the Old Testament, 
but and in, even in Jewish tradition, but the color comes through Yeshua and through the Brit Kadashah, the New Testament. And uh, when you see the fulfillment, of course, it's it's absolutely life changing. And I think, you know, at the end of the Passover Seder, there's a very interesting moment, as you well know, and that's the cup of Elijah. And the cup of Elijah uh, is filled. It's probably a whole place setting is set, and the kids at the end of uh, the Passover, go to the front door, open it up, and the participants sing Eliyahu Hanavi, a beautiful, soulful, mournful uh, Jewish uh, song, uh, inviting Elijah to come and sit down and eat our Passover and to bring with him the Messiah, the son of David. And, you know, obviously the cup of Elijah has never been uh, tasted by the Messiah uh, outside of the Last Supper. And so Jewish people continue to open the door and Jewish children are disappointed and we continue to wait and wait and wait. So I think that in Jewish tradition, even the most secular Jewish people who observe a Passover understand that there's more to come. There's a second act. There's a finale that we're missing. We're moving somewhere. And uh, that somewhere is Jesus. How would you say that your book would be, speaking of, you know, the, the questions or the four questions, why is this night different than all other nights? But how is your book different than all other books on this subject? It's more complete. Uh, number one, we bridge the gap between the Old and the New Testament and Jewish tradition and uh, our evangelical or our Christian heritage. And so uh, we have covered everything about Messiah and the Passover. We've covered uh, all the we've covered uh, the different sections of the Old Testament. We've dealt with in depth uh, with the Lord's Supper, and we've dealt in depth uh, with. Uh, I wrote on the Gospel of John. I believe John is the most Jewish of all the uh, books in the uh, New Testament. And uh, in John, you actually have a an incredible chronology of uh, why Jesus went to the cross when he went. And Daniel nine is part of that chronology, and even the festivals of Israel in type uh, add to that chronology. I mean, why did he die on Passover? Why did he rise on the third day, which would have been the Feast of First Fruits? And, and so, you know, there's a lot of these questions that are addressed, but I think the best part of our 350-page Messiah and the Passover book is the recipes. Forgive me if I'm Wrong, but in the uh, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, uh, God is talking to the Jewish people. Am I right about that? Well, He's talking primarily to the Jewish people, but we believe that the Old Testament is as valid for the Gentiles uh, as it is for the Jewish people, particularly those Gentiles that believe in Jesus. In Second Timothy three sixteen, again, Rabbi Paul said that all Scripture is inspired, God breathed, inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And that word there for scripture is the Greek word graphe, which is always, uh, always should be understood as the Old Testament. So the entirety of the Old Testament has been given as a gift and a treasure to the Gentile Christians in the church, as well as to the Jewish people. I say that kiddingly. Of course, I, you, you know, I'm glad, <laughs> glad you gave me that answer. But the only reason is that, you know, uh, again, getting to the, is it a tough sell, you know, having uh, Christians uh, celebrate the Passover uh, only because, you know, Jesus is Jewish. And gave, in, in, in the book, we gave them a, a Messianic Haggadah too, Michael. So you have the Haggadah, you have the liturgy for the service at home, and you have the recipes. What more could you want? 
What more could you want? Because it's important that, you know, the music as well, because I mean, we, I don't, I think we have to have a, a real international worldview, uh, especially the, the fact that Jesus is Jewish. And, and I, I believe it should be recognized uh, more so even, you know, than Christmas <laughs> when they said the King of Israel, you know, and, in the church. And so uh, this is, this is just very important. And so um, what well, happened? Michael, you could join our movement and get a new T-shirt, too. It's called Christmas is a Jewish Holiday Movement. So, You have a T-shirt? Are you kidding? <laughs> I love T-shirts like that. If you'd send one, I'd appreciate that. But I think it's a good idea. But um, <laughs> So, um, you know, uh, have you seen that happen where churches open up their doors? They say, okay, we're, we're going to not make it more Jewish, but we're going to you know, acknowledge that uh, there's Jewish music and, and culture and festivities I, and things I like can't. that. What could that do to the church? You know, Chosen People uh, is in more than two dozen cities in North America. It's 17 countries around the globe. And we have a couple hundred people on our global staff. And, uh, but in America, in North America probably, uh, we will be in over a thousand churches uh, during the wow. uh, Passover season. And so, I mean, this happens every year. So I think there's a real hunger for uh, Christians to learn more about their Jewish roots. Uh, I don't know when I was a younger believer if the interest was there because I was too new of a believer. But ever since I've been in the ministry, I've seen this interest growing. And Chosen People, we're in our 125th year. We started in 1894. I'm not the founder, Michael, in case you were doing the math. So, <laughs> but but we uh, we have more opportunities than we know what to do with. But if there are pastors or individual Christians out there who would like to learn ha- uh, more about Messiah and the Passover, of course, you can get the book. Uh, you can go to our website and find it. But you can also uh, find out uh, how we can come to your church or maybe to your home group and do a Messiah and the Passover because we have people traveling all over the country at this time of the year. There are an amazing amount of Gentiles who love the Jew, you know, the, because they know that Jesus is Jewish. They love, and I, I never get tired of that, you know, as far as the kind of warmth of the godly love. Um, are you surprised by that all the time? I was surprised by it at first. I was shocked by it. Listen, I thought Jesus was a Gentile. So, you know, uh, I, I thought Jesus was an anti-Semite. I mean, why else would Christians have been so historically against the Jewish people? Yeah, I thought but so too, just so you know. I felt the same way. <laughs> yeah, we all, we were all raised that way. Those attitudes were forged by our grandparents and great-grandparents in Europe, you know. And, but, but I have found over the years that certainly uh, Christians, you know, as, as, our, as the Israeli leaders know now for sure that uh, evangelicals are the best friends of Israel, that's for sure. And I think particularly... Um, uh, those, I mean, those Gentiles that love Jesus, uh, for the most part, understand that he's Jewish. I mean, there's always outliers, you know, who don't get it, and uh, we're happy to help them get it. Uh, but again, I think it's it's one thing to deeply appreciate uh, the Jewishness of your faith. It's a, quite another thing to then take your new un- understanding of a of a Messianic Jewish faith in Jesus and to share that with Jewish people. And so what Chosen People stands for more than anything, Michael, is bringing the gospel, the good news, pure and simple, 
that Jesus is the Messiah. He died and rose for our sins, ascended, and will return. That, for us, is the most important thing in the world. I think, I think that's, that was the last words of Jesus. You know, go is out and make disciples. Is that not good news to, to Jewish people? Only because they have so many laws and, you know, and even uh, with the Orthodox have the Talmud. And it seems like it can get awfully complicated if, if people are really honest about just how many uh, books and words. And then they hear this good news, this message, and, and it must be a relief to them. I don't know. if I, Honestly, I live in Brooklyn, so I'm around a lot of happy Orthodox Jews who don't mind at all. And uh, so I'm being realistic with you. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I understand why you're saying that. I don't know if that's really the case. Uh, I don't think it's just the simplicity of faith and so on that makes people so happy. I'm going to go just one step further. It's the actual truth of it. Hmm. And you see, a, a religious Jew never knows where they stand with God. That's part of Jewish tradition. So it's not just the multitude of Talmudic laws or or whatever. It's that the, 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 even the religious Jew doesn't, under, doesn't know when they're fully in God's in favor. And so they never know where they stand. In fact, one of the greatest Jews, Jewish leaders who ever lived, Rabbi Akiba, uh, who was a little later than uh, the time of Jesus, but not much, um, on his deathbed, he was talking to his disciples. It's an old Talmudic story. And, you know, the disciples say, we'll see you in glory. And basically, Akiva's response is, I hope so. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, wow. and, and so that's, that's the power of the gospel because uh, Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He said, it is finished. It's complete. It's done. And when we, by faith, trust in his, what he did for us, then we can know for sure that when the books close in heaven on the Day of Atonement, which is also Jewish tradition, that uh, the book had already closed previously when we embraced Jesus, our Messiah, and was never opened again. He is our atonement. Yes, and he so, is. And, um, you know, and, and for, for me, and for, even for the religious Jews that I speak to, uh, that's, that seems to be the important issue. Uh, because there's such a deep commitment and understanding within the, the religious Jewish culture that we need to we need to make the atonement for ourselves, and uh, and of course, how do you know that's been done adequately, or when do you think it's been done? The answer is you can never know, but because of what Jesus did, we can know forever, and that makes that's all the difference in the world. I think that's all people want, you know, Jew anybody. <laughs> whether you're, any human being they want yeah they really want to know that that this is you know because i think that's the big question how could anybody know for sure and uh and of course the jesus answers yeshua answers all those questions that god does uh in the in the scriptures that you can know that that is comforting for sure and um can i ask you dr glazer as far as what, what do you think your most difficult challenges so all these years uh, being uh, the president of chosen people ministries um, probably just my prayer that God would open the hearts of Jewish people. Uh, I know that that's not something man can do. It's not something that you could develop some kind of strategy to do. Um, every year we see thousands of Jewish people hear the gospel. 
Uh, we have Isaiah 53 campaigns on Facebook going all the time. We've, we've in the last two or three years, we've sent out 8,000 Isaiah 53 explained books in Hebrew to Israelis who have asked for it. They've come to our website in Israel in Hebrew through Isaiah 53 Facebook ads, and they've asked for the book. And so, you know, Michael, honestly, I wish I could tell you I know the secret, um, but I don't. And so we do what we can, uh, but we know that uh, our, our effort is just so dependent upon what God does. And so we pray all the time, and, and I hope your folks will pray for us. Yes. That and God will open, open hearts. Yes, and you were telling me uh, before we began uh, our interview here that there are some amazing testimonies. People love to, to read testimonies. Where can they read all those testimonies on, uh, on the website? Well, you can go to ifoundshalom.com, and we have about 90 video testimonies. Some are written, but we have about 90 testimonies of Jewish people from every walk of life that have dramatically had their lives changed by coming to know Jesus. So I found shalom. I found uh, I found shalom.com is, is great. And it's also a great way to witness because you, all you have, if you find a testimony you think is appropriate for a Jewish friend, just copy the URL, send them, an, send them an email. <laughs> it's yeah, it's right. a great way to share the gospel. <laughs> and last but not least here, uh, you know, uh, other than the shank bone, I know that uh, you have to buy the book here, Messiah in the Passover written by Dr. Mitch Glazer and Dr. Daryl Bach. Where is Jesus in the Passover? If you can give us just a hint other He's than the, the shank bone. His blood's in the wine, his body's in the bread, and uh, his uh, role as the Lamb of God is spoken about in the uh, shank bone of the Lamb. And so I think Jesus uh, prophetically is woven all throughout the Passover Seder. Yes, I would say that uh, you, you and I, you know, uh, we, we've gotten very well acquainted during this uh, this interview. And um, so that leads me to ask uh, just a, a quick question. Is it, um, uh, do you have two tickets that you could spare? And the reason I ask, why, why, are, why do they have to have tickets all the time? I wish that, is, is sometimes I wish that it was just open door, but sometimes you got to get tickets to the Passover and then, and then it's closed and you can't go. I have an answer to that. The meal costs money. <laughs> I mean, it's it's true. It's, if you eat anywhere else, I mean, it costs money. But I always feel like, you know, I want to go, and then I'm late, and, and getting the tickets, and then the tickets, I don't know. Well, we, well, well we, we're going to do a pre-Passover Passover banquet at the Yale Club in Manhattan on April 16th. Uh, if you find yourself in New York, I will make sure that you and your wife have free tickets to the meet. Well, that's a deal. Well, that's a, really, really. Okay. You know, we might and that, be, and that's a hundred dollar ticket. So, you know, you know something we were actually, there is a chance that we're headed that way. I mean, we, for real, for real. We'd, we'd love to have you just let me know. And we'll make sure that we've got Mr. And Mrs. Michael Lauren on the nameplate on the amen. name. You know, we'll have it for you. Amen. And amen. And in, in, in Judaism, amen. That's how he, uh, Messiah in the Passover, Dr. Mitch Glazer has been our special guest. He's the president of Chosen People Ministries. And if you do the honor of praying for so many people, you know, there's so many Jewish people, there are Gentiles who, who just everybody needs to know this Messiah. Would you pray and uh, and hopefully hearts would be open and people would get your book and uh, and they would come to have that peace that God promises. Would you like me to pray? Yes. For real? Yes. I'd love to. 
Abba, we love you. We thank you for Michael and for this uh, wonderful show and the opportunity that uh, he gives so many people to uh, proclaim your word and your love for both Jew and Gentile. And I pray your blessing upon Michael and upon uh, this show. And I ask you, Lord, uh, to open the hearts of your people who are listening so that they would come to not only love you more, but also love your people, the Jewish people. And we pray, Lord, for the open-heartedness of our own Jewish families and, Lord, of Jewish people uh, throughout Florida and New York City, Israel, all around the globe, that they might open their hearts, especially this Passover season, to the Messiah who so beautifully can be so beautifully discovered in the Passover. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Messiah in the Passover. I know people are looking for the Messiah. The Messiah is looking for you, you who are listening right now. And so get the book. Uh, Dr. Mitch Glazer, thank you for being a guest on our program. You're welcome. Shalom. God bless you and happy Passover. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailor solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand, from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bearedynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice. Total sound control products from Oralex enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators.